the normal state of a mathematician is to be stuck. There's sexism in the math world. You look up in the mountain, you envision the path, then you get there and it doesn't work. An explorer of the invisible brings something from the divine world to our own world and makes it shine for, for just a moment. Welcome to Matlab Balance. Today, our guest is uh, Julia Saka, an assistant professor at Columbia University working in algebraic geometry. Welcome, Julia. I'm super curious to learn about your experience in math. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, I look forward to our chat today. So uh, tell us, please, for the beginning, what brought you into mathematics? I guess in school, I was always pretty good in math and I had fun, but that was never my favorite subject. Um, I was always more interested in uh, history and philosophy. And uh, in fact, I, I wanted to study history or philosophy. And, um, and somehow in, uh, in Italy, when you go to, to college, you have to choose your major beforehand. And that's all you study. It's not like in the US where, you know, you can study a little bit of this and that. And actually, I would have loved it. Um, and so it was a really hard decision for me. And, and uh, on one side, I felt like I didn't want to lose math. And I knew that if I'd gone into history of philosophy, I would basically stop uh, doing math. And um, on the other hand, um, I was really interested in, in other things. So, so it was a hard decision for me. And uh, weighing on all of this was that uh, half my family on my mom's side is uh, are mathematicians or physicists. So, you know, both my uh, grandparents on that side um, were mathematicians. And uh, so it made it even harder, I think, because um, I, 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 I kind of didn't want to necessarily follow like the family tradition, but, um, you know, it, it did interest me. So anyways, um, the first year of college, I was um, sort of going a little bit shopping between, you know, one department and the other. And, you know, I started, you know, all my friends, not all my friends, but they're like some friends of mine in high school that are going to the philosophy department. So I went to their classes too. And, and uh, so the, that first year was kind of a little troubled. And, um, and I must say that I was not that interested in the math, the first year math that uh, we did, like calculus or some numerics analysis. And um, of course, there's linear algebra. Um, and it was only later on, later on that I thought, oh, wow, math is really cool. And, uh, and I remember the moment and we were studying, I, I, I forget which class it was, you, you learn that the conics in P2 form a P5 and then inside the P5, you have the local, anyway, this first example of moduli space. And so uh, I remember that after that class, I, I, I went to visit a friend in Paris and I was on the plane and I couldn't stop thinking about this fact and how cool it was. And I think that was like the moment it's like, yes, this is it. That's what I want to do. Um, so. Wow. This is beautiful. Uh, did you manage to somehow keep in touch with your interests to history and philosophy while being a mathematician? Um, a little bit. I mean, not, you know, that seriously, I would say. Um, I, I somehow find myself gravitating towards people in the humanities. And I think that's, <laughs> that uh, has something to do with that. And, you know, I, um, so yeah, my partner is an art historian. So, <laughs> you know, I certainly read and, um, you know, I draw and I paint a little bit. And so, you know, I guess that's um, kind of, um, keeps me a little linked to like the humanities world, but not in any serious way. So related to that, I was curious because you live uh, in New York, right? Uh, you work in Columbia University. And so uh, I can't imagine how is it to live in New York and to be able to focus on math when there are so many cool distractions around? How do you manage? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that's a good question. Um, so part of, I mean, in some sense, I um, I haven't been in New York that much in the last year, uh, two years. I, I think that when you have something that you look forward to doing, like, you know, going to an art show or a concert or something, um, 
I don't know, it somehow makes me more focused. And, and so that, you know, I feel it's good to take time off and to like, you know, so to having things to look forward to are, is, is, I think good because then when you actually work, um, you're actually focused on work and then, you know, you take the time off and it's, it's, uh, it's good. Of course that not, that doesn't always happen. And, you know, sometimes you're so focused in writing a paper that you forget about everything else, but you know, it, the good thing is that there's just always so many things going on in New York that um, even if you miss something, you don't have necessarily the feeling of missing out because, you know. So I saw in your CV that after finishing PhD, you moved several times uh, was it a necessity or why, what was your motivation? Okay, so I was a postdoc at Stony Brook and during the postdoc, um, I um, I got this opportunity to be at um, IS for a year, which is, was really a nice year. I, I really enjoyed it. I had this opportunity and, you know, it was within the postdoc. So, you know, um, I just asked them that if I could go for a year and they, of course, said yes. And... Um, I guess that's when I'm at the end of that year. That's when I met you. Right. Um, yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, I was looking for tenure track jobs and, uh, I, it was a little complicated for me because, uh, my partner was in New York city. Um, so anyways, I, um, you know, ended up going to MIT for a year and then this opportunity at Columbia opened up and, uh, and so I, you know, just went for it. So, And there was France also. But there was France. And so that too was uh, just an opportunity that I had. And again, it was kind of a year of leave. So when you say there was an opportunity and there was an opportunity, how does it work? <laughs> I was given an opportunity. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. But is there any advice you could give to uh, other postdocs on how to um, get more opportunities? <laughs> apply to things and, uh, you know, talk to people at conferences. Another painful subject for many people is job market. So um, do you, I mean, of course it's, it's hard for everyone, but do you think there are any advice one, can, one could give about uh, post or continue track job market, how to go through it? Yeah. <laughs> uh. Okay, it, it's a tough year. Um, it's stressful. There's a lot of traveling. Um, so one advice that I was given um, and I think was good is to, if you have teaching, to arrange, you know, teaching so that you you can travel. And and the other is um, when you prepare for job talks, you know, have people listen to it before beforehand and uh, really think about talking to a wide math audience. And it's um, if you're being interviewed at um, a certain place, most likely the people in your field already want you. Um, so it's not those people that you want to convince, but it's the other people. And so, um, you know, if you make your, your talk, Uh, accessible to to people that are not in your field, then um, I think that's always um, a good thing. Um, and of course, you know, towards the end of the talk, people probably are not following anymore for you know other other reasons. And so you can always you know put in you know the, the theorem you're really excited about um, that you proved at, at, at the end to um, you know just you know talk to the people in your field. Um, so yeah, I guess that's that's my advice. Oh, that's great. You know, if you don't focus on the the technical and hard parts of of your work, and you um, you try to transmit this kind of the excitement that you have about your work and what you know, I think that um, if that's your focus, I think it's going to come out. Um, uh huh. So you have a lot of experience uh, with talks. Uh, how, how do you feel when giving a math talk, actually? You said it's important to share the excitement. So do you actually feel excited when you give a talk or it's more anxiety? Or I, I, think, I think I do, yes. And I think that makes it um, sometimes a whole experience, you know, if you're giving too many talks, a little draining. 
um, uh, but I do. And I think that's, um, um, I remember I, when I gave my first talk at Banff, I was a grad student and uh, I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. And, um, and during the talk, uh, okay, then I gave my talk and, you know, went fine. And afterwards, uh, someone in the audience said, oh, you look really um, confident. And, and, you know, and I thought, oh, wow, I can't believe that because I was dying inside. And, um, but I think the important thing is if you focus on math, the rest goes away to some extent. Of course, you know, there's always a scary person in the audience or something. But somehow how it's worked for me is that during the talk, when, once you start, once you start, and, you know, maybe after the first few minutes, uh, mostly it's if you manage to focus your attention on the mathematics, then, you know, the rest um, kind of goes away. Um, yeah. Oh, that's cool. I actually feel the same way. Like before the talk, it's always, you know, like, oh, I will fail to answer questions and stuff. But once it starts, it's it all just somehow fades and it's so pleasant. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. I guess with the job talks, maybe it was a little less so. Uh, and I felt more a bit like a it's kind of a performance kind of thing because you give the same talk. So speaking of your inner feeling versus outer perspective, I remember when we met, uh, you were a teaching assistant at, at the uh, Women in Math program that I want to talk about later. But first, I'd like to say that I remember my impression of like complete amazement because uh, you were teaching us some algebraic geometry and I, I had an impression that you know everything about algebraic geometry. <laughs> but now, when I think about it, I imagine that maybe you didn't quite feel like you knew everything about algebraic geometry. So I wonder, how do you think, why is it so often in math that we have an impression that we know so little, well, people around us know so much, like why, why is there such a difference? Yeah, well, first of all, certainly I, I did not feel I knew everything in algebraic geometry because I know very little in algebraic geometry. So, you know, even that's my field, but um, maybe it's not just math. I mean people look at what they don't have and uh, whether it's uh, math or, you know, other, you know, whether it's how much math they know, whether it's how many theorems you've proved, whether it's other things in life, like, you know, privileges that you have or, you know, anything. Um, I guess that it's uh, maybe an, a normal condition to, to look at what you don't have as, as opposed to what you do have. Yeah, in math, that happens a lot. It's striking to talk to people that you feel like are so sure of themselves or confident. And then you, when you actually get to know them, you, you discover, uh, you know, that they feel the same way. And, and uh, you know, if people were more open about this, I think the whole experience would be a little better for everyone. Um, yeah. So I guess it's important to talk about that. Um, um, I think in grad school, um, I heard a rumor of one of these, you know, super uh, fancy professor at Princeton saying that this, the, um, um, the, the normal state of a mathematician is to be stuck. I, I like that, the fact that there is someone, you know, so strong and so successful mathematician saying that because it reminds everyone about um, not to get discouraged, right? And, you know, if you're, uh, going to understand something that you didn't know earlier, there's going to be a point, you know, where you, you're stuck or, you know, you don't know what's going on. And if you don't pass that point because you're discouraged, then you're not never going to get across. So that's all very beautiful theoretically, but I have a practical question. So when you are stuck on a math problem, what do you do? Uh, I think it depends, but... Um, you know, sometimes you just go on and on until you get more and more frustrated. And then sometimes you take a break and then, you know, I, I agree with, with, a you know, that's all very beautiful and abstract. So in practice, you know, the reason why I'm saying it is that I'm saying it to myself too, right? Again, sometimes it's easy to get like really obsessed with something that 
you know, you want to do it, you want to do it now. And, and, uh, and it's not always productive. Um, I guess my grandmother, who, as I mentioned earlier, was a mathematician. She used to say that uh, she had five kids, so, you know, she was busy. And uh, she, she said that, you know, sometimes like you're, you're doing something else and your brain is, keeps working on, on, on the problem and, uh, you know, kind of with um, almost no effort, you find, you know, you're doing something else and like you have the epiphany of. How can one have five kids and do math? How is it possible? Well, there are, there are examples, and uh, so. Is there something you learned from your grandparents about doing math? Um, well, I didn't meet my grandfather, um, but my grandmother, I think in general, I think she was just very, uh, I would say, intellectually honest, and, and, you know, towards the end of her life, she was more interested in other things in math, and uh, she was very concerned with environment and, you know, uh, biodiversity. And she, so she was studying all these things. And um, um, I, I always admired her um, tenacity and her um, uh, willpower in, you know, diving into new things. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> This sounds wonderful. From what I've uh, seen or heard, uh, it looks like you may have uh, gotten from her or from other members of your family, uh, the uh, strong feeling for justice. As a mathematician, what uh, can you do to improve it a little? Okay, hard question. There is a lot of outreach and a lot of events for women in math and minorities in math and things like that. And I, you know, just the sheer number of um, events is, you know, changing compared to just a few years ago. Um, whether just that is going to solve all the problems is uh, less clear. It's always interesting to see what the reaction is to small changes that may improve the life for of minorities and how somehow it often lashes back in in ways that are maybe unexpected um, um you know you're a minority you get a job oh you only got the job because you're a minority i often wonder how um minorities and I'm just let's you know just to pick an example and that's my experience of being a woman is different in different parts of the world and um and my experience is different I don't really understand why and it's um it, it's um, sometimes it's paradoxical that in in certain places where there is like overt sexism and there's catcalling in the street Um, but somehow maybe the experience of being a mathematician is actually a woman mathematician is actually easier. I don't know if that's your experience. Yeah. I just say that, you know, there are backlashes to, to, to steps forward that may be a little unexpected. Um, um, I don't know if you, um, you feel that sometimes there is more subtle ways of being sexist that are harder to deal with. This is my experience. More subtle ways, you said? Yeah. Mm. Uh, you know, um, catcalling is a very unsubtle sexism. And, um, but um, lack of considerations for things that a woman may say is a more subtle way, right? Um, does that make sense? Yes, totally. I would be curious to know more. I don't know how much comfortable you'll be safe because I see it very black and white. So for me, my memories about being uh, living in Russia are very sexist colored. And so all the rest of the experience like in Europe and US and when like my life after living in Russia feels like I've never 
meet sexism or when mm -hmm. I very occasionally do I'm like so surprised that it's like meeting a leopard on the street you know like that kind of I'm shocked but then uh, I guess there is a lot of um, like black and white uh, thinking in this so maybe I notice it more or remember it more there and I somehow idealize the world here I uh, see uh -huh. so you mentioned about um, different ways to reacting for someone from minority getting a job. So I wonder for you personally, did you have to struggle with imposter syndrome when getting opportunities as a woman? Yes. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so I, I think it's, um, it's, uh, it's always a struggle. And I think that uh, um, for me at the moment, uh, I'm sort of overcoming that kind of thing. It's like, you know, my, uh, my, my, um, biggest priority in, in terms of, you know, um, the psychological aspect of, of doing math. Um, yeah. It, it, in some sense, it's related to what we were doing. We were saying earlier about, uh, you know, everybody else thinks the other people know a lot more and, uh, cause you don't know, but, you know, um, a lot of other people may feel that way. The, the first step to, to me is, is to uh, realize how, um, how easy it is to internalize things that harm minorities and uh, answer to the previous question about, you know, what can you do? What can, you know, it's, um, I, um, I, I think like I'm, I, I feel like at the same time, I'm, you know, working to um, get over my own imposter syndrome, but I'm also um, struggling to understand how I can um, uh, contribute to imposter syndrome for other people. And, uh, and I think um, it's an important reflection to have. And, you know, especially as, you know, people get older and get, have more responsibility. Is there anything you could maybe say to to other people in minorities who also struggle with uh, this, you know, problem of getting opportunities and believing you don't deserve them and so on? Um, for me, the um, having a, a small network of people that um, uh, are on your side is. Uh, helps and of course the issue is that uh, it it's not always easy to find such network and um and so um i i think it's important to if you have people that you trust to to open um, yourself up i mean of course saying you know um if you got you know just saying the things that people usually say or you know you wouldn't have gotten the job because otherwise you know that i i mean you know people can repeat that thing but of course you have to feel it inside so i don't want to repeat that again because sometimes i feel like like okay yes thank you um it's uh it's not very useful uh, um and uh, and also I, I i would say that having uh you know nine things that you do outside of the department just uh um helps you just as a general human being and so it helps your you know well-being also in the department um so i guess that would be my my advice um maybe i could uh, say one thought that has been helping me recently on this topic because I'm guilty of having said many, many, many times that, oh, I get this and that opportunity because of my gender or because of my background or something. And um, I realized only recently that it is actually very unfair to say and think so towards the people in all the committees, like hiring committees, organizing committees and stuff, that every time we say this and I heard other women in math say that often too, we diminish the work that people put into choosing applicants and choosing uh, people to give opportunities with. And if it was just as simple as to tick the, the like box, gender, female, great, that's it here, then uh, I think 
um, it would be much easier for them. So uh, since it happens that we like younger people are not in the position to be in the committees yet, they don't know how much work is it. But now when my slightly older friends get to complain to me how much time and effort they spent in the committees, I realize that it's unfair to diminish that effort, right? That's true. That's absolutely true. Yes. And in fact, I don't think it happens often that, you know, someone is taken only for uh, being part of a minority. And, 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 you know, it's a, the, the tricky thing is that, you know, uh, it's impossible to order linearly, you know, a bunch of candidates in different fields, even in the same field, right? I mean, how can you order, order them? I mean, uh, you know, maybe it's clear that, you know, a bunch of people are much better than another bunch. But maybe not. And even, you know, within these little subgroups is, you know, how do you do that? And and there's so many um, different uh, criteria that you could have that give different ordering. And so it's, uh, you know, once you're you have a, a, a selected group of 10 people, you know, what criteria you use to pick the you know, that to say this is number one, two, and three, or this is number one, two, and three, just a little random. And, you know, it's, um, it's not that, uh, mostly they're all equivalent at the end, you know, the top candidates that you're on, on, on your shortlist. So it's, um, it's unfortunate that then people think, oh, if I were chosen, if I was chosen, then, um, it, it was only because of that. No, you were, you know, there at the top and, you know, together with, you know, a bunch of other people. And uh, yeah, so, um, and the, yeah, so, and people, you know, read the files and take time as you were saying. So um, yeah, um, I agree with um, what you're saying. It's, uh, it's, it's easy to forget about that though. Um, when you're put on the spot. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so I wonder, um, maybe having a family mathemati mathematicians in the family helps, but still I'm curious, when you were growing up mathematically, did you have role models that you could look up to? Well, uh, I mean, yes, uh, and definitely Claire Wazen, you know, is uh, certainly someone that, um, uh, of course, I've um, always admired a lot, but there's a lot of other other women that I I met, and you know, even in outside of my field, and uh, um, and in fact, even outside of of math. I mean, I was just thinking recently. Um, uh, I have a friend who's in cinema, and uh, she's telling me how she's dealing with some sexist coworkers and how he just like shut them up and like. Uh, I thought, oh, I would have like gone home and cried and whined about it. It's like, you know, that's the attitude to have, you know. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's um, I think I was very lucky because I did have um, these role models. But I think you can also look for them outside of math if, you know, you're in your um, um, immediate circles, you don't have um you don't have them. And, um, and I, I, I think, you know, to some extent, I don't realize how the fact that my grandmother was a mathematician um, just made me give for granted the fact that a woman could be a mathematician. Uh, so um, I, I, I may not, you know, uh, appreciate that much how how lucky I was uh, in that respect because um, in in fact I I never thought of any issue with gender and math until I came to the U.S. and at the beginning um, um, yeah I don't think I ever uh, had to worry about it and you know it. Uh, Mostly because, you know, I was always one of the top students. So I, I don't know, I just never had to, you know, ha and maybe I, I was overlooking something, but um, maybe I was just very, very lucky. And uh, it's, uh, it's funny because in, in terms of gender things, there are other things 
Italy that were upset at me. And for example, I, I like to play soccer and in Italy, soccer is a men's game. And I, you know, people would say, oh, you can't play soccer. Or, you know, if you play soccer, you're not going to be very feminine or, you know, all kind of stuff like that. And um, so um, when I came to the US, if anything, these things swapped because uh, in the U.S., women is a, is a soccer game and, you know, a lot of women pay, play soccer. And I was like, oh, I wish I'd had the opportunity to do like, you know, be in a team when I was growing up. And I, and I really, you know, and uh, on the other side, I just um, maybe came out of my bubble and, and, and you know, um, realized... Um, there's sexism in the math world. And uh, so it's, um, um, it's interesting that I hadn't thought about these issues before I came to the US. And uh, in fact, for me, that women in math uh, thing at IS uh, was kind of important in, in sort of my um, 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 even in, in realizing how important this kind of event may be. Um, and I think I had some internal, internalized some, some prejudice on that kind of event. And, um, and that was the first woman in math event that I participated in, basically. I think I'd been to some woman in math lunch or something. But um, so uh, I think, I, yeah, I had pretty much internalized like the sort of, you know, condescending attitude towards this kind of event. And, and it, it, I was uh, surprised at how great the event was. And, you know, uh, mathematically, there is no, you know, compromise, uh, you know, it's just like, you know, any other event, except that it was for women in math. And there are all these like brilliant students. I mean, you and, you know, there's like, you know, I, there, you know, if, and I, you know, now I kind of see you all like growing up and it, it, it's really nice. And it's, uh, it, it just shows how, you know, um, I had internalized the, the, the sort of sexist attitude. And um, so, yeah, that was a, an important um, moment, I think, in, in this kind of um, um, in my reflection on, you know, um, the, the role of, of, uh, of women and then minorities, you know, you can uh, maybe start by understanding, you know, um, the problem that a certain minority has, and then, you know, we can think more broadly and, and start including other categories and, you know, and, and, and realize what are the similarities and what are the differences of, of, of their experience. Um, I'm so happy that you uh, spoke about this program. Actually, I was planning to make the first ever advertisement on my channel. Well, hmm. no one pays me for it, but I'd like to say that this program uh, at uh, Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton called Women in Mathematics was uh, the best math program I've ever been to. So I highly recommend it to everyone. And in my opinion, so I was also, um, maybe it's, maybe now it would feel differently, but back then it was the first time I've seen women mathematicians. <laughs> so that was very surprising, <laughs> but that's not uh, the only thing. I think at that program, uh, the organizers uh, put uh, an outstanding effort uh, for adding empathy uh, and uh, taking care of the participants and also put effort into networking uh, more than just bring people together and let them talk. So uh, I wanted to mention just one example, a little thing which made this experience very different for me than other conferences is that in the first evening, all the participants were given a booklet with uh, descriptions of the participants. So there were photos and affiliations and also hobbies. So like we were all asked in advance to write about our interests and hobbies. And so in the first, like uh, at night of the day, 
I read through like the whole book and uh, it helped me to remember the participants. So it's the only conference ever where I actually remember who was there with, because there are like always so many names and so many new people. But thanks to that booklet, I can now recognize these names and like see the people becoming tenure tracks already and whatnot. And it's so, so helpful, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't remember the booklet, but I, I it was, uh, I love that, 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 that workshop. And, you know, it was really a, the start of something for me, um, of, of, of thinking about the, this kind of issue and uh, which I had sort of always, you know, just pushed to the side. Um, It's really interesting that like coming from completely different perspectives, we both enjoyed this program. So everyone who can apply should apply. It's for undergraduates and early PhD students. Um, very, very good. <laughs> yeah, I've actually been, um, you know, every so often I, I, I go look up, you know, what are the next few programs and what are the topics just to see, you know, if, you know, what an algebraic geometry is, is you know, coming up. So that I can, you know, send some undergrads or someone, you know, there or, you know, yeah. Yeah, it would be so good. I hope they have one related to our interests at some point soon. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, I actually made even two close friends at, at that program, which is, you know, a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. For one math event. Uh -huh. And unrelated to minorities question, a majority question. Mm -hmm. There is there is a huge majority in algebraic geometry who is organizing a giant seminar, and you're one of them, the oh, yeah. Zoom Online Algebraic Geometry Seminar, um, which is super cool. So there are almost 40 organizers or something. Uh, yeah, I forget how many, but we're a lot. Well, an incredible amount of organizers. The seminar runs twice a week, and the next one year of slots are already taken uh, for the talks. So that's super cool. Thank you very much for doing it. The bulk of the organization is done by by two people who are doing an amazing uh, work, which are uh, Vanya Chelsov and Jesus uh, Martinez Garcia, and uh, they're doing like the the majority of, of the work, I should say. Um, and you know, we're we're suggesting speakers and we're hosting every so often, but the, they're really the people to to thank, I would say. Uh -huh. So I was wondering, uh, will the seminar survive after pandemic? Um, I think maybe in some form of other, uh, yes. I don't, I don't think it's entirely clear. And in general, it's uh, interesting to think about what will happen to the various online seminars. And uh, it's, of course, not the same thing attending an online seminar than being live, but at the same time, it's given the opportunity to people that are in areas that are, have, you know, mm -hmm. and don't have the, the means to, to invite people to, to, to be exposed to math. So um, I hope that there are some, some online seminars that are going to go on. And um, of course I look forward to, uh, you know, uh, live conferences again, but um, I think that um, some amount of online seminars, uh, I hope they're going to stay. Um, yeah. The, the, the hard format is a hybrid one, I feel. It's, uh, I think it's more challenging uh, both to be in the audience and, to, to, and for the speaker. Um, have you been in uh, hybrid seminars that worked out well? I'm giving a talk at one in two days, so I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm, um, I'm just wondering, I think it has been, although it has been a terrible year, but for many people and many reasons, but also I think it was an important year for research in terms of uh, making it more accessible for, as you said, people who are far away, so not in the center of uh, math happening in like US and Europe. Um, so, um, do you think we will manage to like keep up some accessibility afterwards? And I definitely hope so. And, uh, in general, um, I think that, uh, even if it's not going to be live, the, the, um, 
people are going to record and post videos a lot more. And so um, maybe if the live uh, video, the video is not of a conference is not going to be live. Um, still, um, I think the fact that um, uh, everybody is now watching videos of math talks. And uh, so I recently learned that there are people that watch math talks at twice the speed or, you know, it's like, you know, if, if, if you're in the, if you're watching a, 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 a lecture in your area and you want to skip all the sort of background, you can, you know, just uh, watch it at twice the speed. I've never done that, but um, uh, I thought that was funny. Um, so yeah, I hope that, um, that some of it will stay because uh, it's a it's a resource for um, for for people that are not in like you know the best universities, the most uh, financed places in in the world, right? So, and I think some will stay. Yes, um, yeah, it's good. I think most of my audience on YouTube uh, is from uh, countries which are further from. Um, Europe and US so it's, it would be harder for them to travel and I've been receiving like every other day emails from people from I don't know Pakistan Chile South Africa oh wow saying thank you for making these videos and I'm so happy with those emails really that's great yeah actually you know you were asking earlier what people can do and I think what you're doing even with the, with these videos is, is a really cool job so thank you it's a it's a really great idea Thank you. I'm super happy doing it. <laughs> Let me ask you, um, you must have lots of like math thoughts, ideas, projects, whatnot, half-baked thoughts. How do you keep track of all this stuff? How do you record it? Do you have like a notebook or how, how to? Yeah, I have um, note, a notebook. And then I, I um, okay, I'm not a very organized person. So, but... Um, I have a notebook and um, the notebook is um, does not contain the actual math. The, the actual math is done on a pad of paper. And then I, I kind of separate the various projects um, in either different folders or different files on the desk. And, uh, and so the, um, the notebook is kind of more organizing the different piles rather than, uh, you know, containing actual, actual um, math. I mean, occasionally, you know, you're on the subway or something and you want to scribble something and you, and you, you know, want to say, Oh, does this work? And you know, whatever, but it's, um, it's more kind of uh, uh, organizing the, the different notepads, I would say. So what do you write in that notebook then? Um, I don't know, maybe like um, the things I want to think about and, you know, the, the priorities that I have or, you know, uh, maybe you have to answer a math email or something. Oh, well, sounds reasonable. Yeah. How do you do that? Oh, I came up with a system that works. I'm super excited about it. And uh, I think it took me many years to finally realize that for me, it's very important to be extremely honest with myself, uh, which means that um, I used to, as a student, I used to like try to, when I was learning math, I used to write, you know, like, I don't know, copy from a book or something like write pieces of math. So instead of that, I now have a file where I write all the math I actually understood. Um, so you that this is digital. You write in 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 tech. Yeah. So there, no, just like oh, that's another thing. I'm honest with myself about the fact that teching is longer for me than writing in words. So I just have file where I write in words. Like if there was I don't know your talk and you would speak about the, some examples of moduli spaces and I would not remember the examples but get only the main idea. I would write there only the main idea. So what uh -huh. I actually got. So that's one file with like everything I can get like out of math. The second file is uh, another very honest file where I write on top that like, these are math ideas that I'm lazy to think about, but it would be good to think about. So like with, you know, vague questions and whatever. Yeah. 
So the booklet contains that kind of stuff, like, you know, vague things that you want to eventually think about and you just want to write them down somewhere because you want to remember them at some point in the future. Yeah. And, th- and the third file, which is super important, which I only started doing this year, and it has been super helpful in terms of fighting the imposter syndrome, which is I write every day what I did in math in like detail in that file so that I see that every day I've done a little, but at least I've done something every day. Wow, and, I'm uh, impressed. Um, but before I used to have a feeling that I don't do any research ever because I just like chat with collaborators, go to talk, don't get much out of it. Like, you know, everything felt like, not real, you know. And you managed to be consistent? Yes. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, I'm very impressed. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was years of frustration before, but now. <laughs> Maybe it's not necessarily if you actually feel that you're doing research anyway. But for me, it was a big change to see that research consists of these little things, none of which feels like a big thing, but together they actually sum up to mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. I'm impressed that you can be consistent because like when I start things like that, I last, uh, you know, a week. But I think it's really important what to write down because at some point at the like PhD time, I was also frustrated and I tried to write down how much time I spend on something. And this was like the worst idea possible because like after two days, I was so frustrated to see that I spent four hours at something that actually takes 20 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's important to be indulgent with yourself about, you know, if, uh, of course, everything is easy once you understand it, right? So it's, it's important to, to not, you know, worry about that. Um, yeah. Yeah, and also writing to-do lists has a painful side effect, I think, that you try to just like cross it out instead of enjoying the process. So it's important what to write down to be consistent, yeah. I think. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> the other interesting point is that uh, you said that um, it takes you less to write it down than to tech it. And it's the same for me. And, uh, you know, I, I, I now know how, um, you know, um, that I, the, the thinking part for me has to be on, um, pen and paper or, and, uh, and, uh, if like I'm writing something down and, you know, I hadn't thought about a certain passage or detail or something, it's, uh, rather than thinking about it on the spot, I, it's always easier for me to like get back to pen and paper, work it, work it out and then write it down. Um, and that saves me a lot of time because I didn't used to do that. And I just got like kind of, uh, frustrated and stuck. And then, um, it's a it works better for me to to go back to pen and paper and uh, yeah yeah I, I totally agree I open tech when I know what I want to write there yeah, yeah. <laughs> and close it when I don't <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> yeah um I was also curious does music ever help you with math or is it somehow related for you um sometimes and it depends a kind of music it has to be music that I know very well, and um, and it has to be, um, for example, classical is music is good, but not all classical music is good. Like Bach, I can't work with Bach, um, and and so it's a uh, it's a um, you know it's a little tricky to find something that works well and also depends what kind of thing you're doing you know um are you just writing down the notes that you have already handwritten and you just need to focus and get that thing done or are you actually doing math and you know thinking about stuff so uh, usually when I actually think about stuff, I don't uh, listen to music, but, you know, if I'm editing, an, editing a paper and it's just um, something I have to get done and I want to be doing something else and, you know, having a mu- music in the background actually uh, does help. And, um, and maybe this is a little embarrassing, but I, um, uh, I, one kind of music that helps me a lot is uh, the soundtracks of the Miyazaki movies. Wow. <laughs> so uh, I just find that really, 
really good to 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 do uh you know uh, to do editing and you know writing up the things that I already know what I want to write about um that's very specific <laughs> yeah very specific yeah cool I should try <laughs> you know you know you can look at the soundtrack of Spirited Away that's a good start I was actually wondering um whether it has ever happened to you that you were I don't know watching a movie or reading a book and something that has uh you recognized your feeling about math or research in that art piece um yes um Um, there are two or three recent examples and uh, two are um, books by mountaineers and climbers and um, one is uh, by this Italian alpinist uh, Walter Bonatti who's like a you know major climber and you know he described how Uh, he was going up the north side of the Matterhorn in the winter and solo. Anyway, the, the, so there's a lot of anal analogies with um, between climbing and uh, and um, and math. I, I feel like you know you you can go up by brute force or you can you know look up and and decide for a smart way to go up. Um, you can also from down, you know, you look up in the mountain, you envision the path, then you get there and it doesn't work. And then you have to go back and, or sometimes you just have a good feeling and you go that way, even though it's not maybe intuitively the most natural thing to go and somehow it works. And, uh, so So that was, that's one. And, you know, his, you know, he wrote, a, he wrote a lot of books and it's, um, they're, they're very interesting. And, and it's, um, uh, you know, the, the, the analogies, I think, you know, I, I just, they're throughout the book, um, in, in my opinion. And, and also in, in, in another book about mountain is, uh, is by um, Lionel There. I think that's how you pronounce his name. And uh, the book is called, Uh, the Conquers of the Useless. It's in French. And uh, again, it's, uh, you know, why do you want to climb a mountain? You know, why do you want to prove a theorem? It, it, it's useless for, you know, the, <laughs> you know, what is the practical application? And, you know, uh, and, you know, the answer is that you don't need an answer. Um, and you do it for the sake of doing it. And, uh And, and so I, I think that, you know, just even the title of, of, of the book, The Conquerors of the Useless, is, it, it, I think, is really close to, to math. And, um, and another example, uh, last spring, um, was I was reading uh, Proust, and... Um, Again, I, I, I should find the actual quote because, again, the analogy, the analogy is uh, the, the metaphor is that of exploration and you're exploring a territory. And that's sometimes how, you know, I feel when you do math, you're sometimes you're after something specific and you really want to prove that. Sometimes you just like, how does this thing work? And you just like... It, it feels like, you know, you're in a new place and you're just like, you know, looking around and, and you know, see how this new place is. You're the okay. third person on my channel who is mentioning Proust. I'm so excited about it. Because... Oh, really? Should I read it in French? <laughs> As you wish. <laughs> okay, let's try it. If it's too bad, we're going to cut it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you remember that... Uh, Swan is um, um, has you know this lover, and they have this uh, no, the this piece of music that they yeah okay, and uh, uh, so he says Swan n'avait donc pas tort de croire que la phrase de la sonate existait réellement. Certes, humaine à ses points de vue, elle appartenait pourtant à un autre de créature surnaturelle et que nous n'avons jamais vu. 
mais que malgré cela, nous reconnaissons avec ravissement quand quelques explorateurs de l'invisible arrivent à en capter une, à l'amener du monde devant où il a accès, brûler quelques instants au-dessus d'une autre. OK, so I, I don't think it, uh, my, my, um, my French was um, uh, intelligible, but, um, you know, he's, he, he, he's saying he, he didn't, he was right in, in, in real life, he was not wrong in, 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 in believing that that phrase, that musical phrase, existed really so this musical phrase and of course i'm thinking about math belonged to those uh overnatural how do you say that in english uh, unnatural creatures that you've never seen but that you recognize as soon as um explorateur de l'invisible you know uh, explorer of the invisible manages to capture one and to bring it um, from the divine world he has access to and he brings it and makes it shine for a little bit in our own world. Uh, when I read that, I immediately thought about, about math and, you know, it's uh, things that for certain people are, you know, what is it, you know, but for us, you know, you, it's really some day-to-day -day, uh, object that, you know, you feel very close to and, and, and it's a, you know, the kind of excitement that, um, that, that you, that you have when you actually do understand something. And, and, you know, this is like, you know, this thing where you're, in a, you know, uh, an explorer of the invisible brings something from the divine world to our own world and makes it shine for, 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 for just a moment. Um, You know, I read that and I thought, oh, this is math. Yeah. This is my dream answer. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. Um, this is actually funny that, um, so when I was reading Proust during, when pandemic started, as I said in the other interview already, that I thought this is the time to, for, for, the forgotten time has come. So I started reading uh, Proust and um, I didn't have such a beautiful quote as you said, And that would relate me to math. But I also found an answer to a question related to math, which I always, I was always confused when like people, I don't know if you have this experience, but people occasionally say, people from humanity say, oh, you're a mathematician. Can, can you like solve this problem and give some like, I don't know, engineer kind of task for you? And I always get, I mean, feel uncomfortable when people ask me to like solve their problem. And When, that when I was reading that famous scene of Proust about like their memories, you know, the connection with the childhood. And I thought that the special thing about problems we like to solve in math is that we like to find, like come up with our own questions and, and answers to them or like maybe simultaneously or somehow, but we are not so happy when someone else gives us questions and says like, solve this. It's a very different experience somehow. And there he finds answers to un unasked questions. And I thought that is related to math. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it, you know, it depends, you know, some people like to, to think about um, solving things that other people have can't do that. And I think, you know, or it's, um, but it, you can also just, want to answer your own questions and and uh and yes that's one of the great things about math right is that uh you answer your own your own questions maybe what i was trying to formulate is that in math we quite often have a situation where we see an answer and then we realize what the question was <laughs> and i think that was the feeling that he had somehow described that he didn't sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I think that book is also great because so many people from completely different worlds find their answers there. Mm -hmm, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> mm. Julia, let me ask you the last question. Mm -hmm. It's a very serious one. Are you ready? Somehow I expect it to not be very serious for this uh, sort of... Well, this one is different. I heard that you're an awesome cook besides being a mathematician. Oh. Yeah. 
So tell us, what's your favorite dish to cook? Um, what is my favorite dish to cook? Um, I guess one thing I particularly enjoy cooking is um, things from my, um, I've, I've spent all my summers since I was growing up in this uh, little town, Northern Italy on the coast on the border with France. And there's a lot of uh, local dishes and that I usually only eat there. And uh, even in Rome, like, you know, they're either not known or, you know, you just don't do them. And, uh, uh, and, uh, and I like doing them in the US. I like bringing a little bit of that thing uh, here. Mostly, you know, savory, savory tarts of some sorts or other. And, you know, the, the prime ingredients are not the same, so they don't come out as well. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, this connection to this land. And also the, my grandmother, the mathematician, that's where she was from. And so there's this whole uh, connection to the land and, and, and to these old traditions that, uh, you know, she taught me how to do these things. And, and uh, it's, uh, it, I, I, I really like to, to cook these things, you know, that maybe in that region are different from town to town. And, you know, I, I just like them doing it here, you know, so far away from there, but it just makes me feel a little more grounded, a little more, you know, at home, you know, and just connected to my roots. Um, oh, so, okay. Let me ask you for the very end. What's your wish for young mathematicians? My wish for young mathematicians. Ah, that's a hard question. Um, just any wish. I think it's that people learn to be more inclusive in 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 the in the workplace. Yeah, math is hard for many reasons. You don't have to add layers of hardship by you know social constructs and stuff like that. So um, I, I I hope that you know uh, young mathematicians don't have to deal with extra issues that should not be there. <laughs>